And uh, they're in this circumstance where it says here in verse 5 um, that their land was stripped bare. In verse 6, they were reduced to starvation by the Midianites. I mean, they have no food. They are literally without a plan, don't know what they're going to do, right? And, and really, um, this instance here, this is something we see a occurring theme over and over again in Scripture, right? Israel gets himself into a bind, and then they cry out to the Lord for help. And, and, and here, uh, verse 6, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord for help because of Midian... Comma, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. You see, whenever we pray, when we come down to these altars, whenever we, as the people of God, lift up cries to God, they do not just hit this popcorn ceiling, okay? They do not, <laughs> I had to, they don't just hit the ceiling of your closet, of your car. Our prayers are not futile. They're not just sound waves bouncing around. But the very word of God says that they go up into heaven and that God stores them. He stores them in golden vials. That, 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 what does that mean? That means that our prayers are heard by God and very simply put, God hears and he answers our prayers. Amen? That prayer is powerful. That's a cornerstone belief in our church. If you're new here this morning, if this is the first time you've ever been, that's probably why you're wondering, hey, why, did they, why are they down at the altars for 30 minutes praying for people, right? Why are we just singing the same songs over and over again? Because God is working. Maybe God's not working in your life in that moment, but God was working in some people's lives down here. Right, And we believe that prayer is powerful. If you, if you can attest to the power of prayer, can you just raise your hand? Look all around. Look all around. Look at the testimonies in this place. We could go on for hours. I could just sit down right now and we can get up and share the testimonies of how God has delivered us. God heard the cry of his people. Israelites cried out to the Lord for help and he heard them. In verse 8, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. Verse 8, when God answers prayers, here's what I want to bring out of this. When God answers prayers, we talked about this the other day, Paul. When, this is the way that God has ordained it to be, that when God answers any and all prayers, he is going to use human participation to be part of that answer. Even if God appeared to you in a miraculous dream, somebody was praying for you to receive that dream. God is always looking for human participation. God is always looking for men and women that will stand like the prophet Isaiah and say, here I am, Lord, send me. God is looking for somebody today. He's looking for people in his church that will say, Lord, send me. Lord, Lord commission me. Lord, send me out so I can do the work that you have called me to do. And in verse 8, whenever the Lord heard the cries of the people, he sent a prophet. He sent a prophet to the people, and that's the way that God answers our prayer is through the people. This is why it's so important to come to church. We don't want people to come to church so we can have more money in the offering or so that we can have more seats filled up or all those things. We, we, we want people to come to church because when you come to church, you are connected to the body. You're connected to the body of believers that whenever I look in the face of my brother or my sister, I can see the face of Christ. I can see Christ in them, and I can, I can be be part of what God is doing in the overall body. And I can grow in my faith because the answer to your prayer is found in your brother or sister. It's found in their prayers. It's found in their anointing. It's found in, in their gifts to you. That's where the answer to our prayer is. When the Lord heard their cries, he sent a prophet. He sent a prophet to them to give them this word. And it's really a word of encouragement. It's a word of encouragement. 
And, and, and just a little side deal here, some of the most prophetic words that you can give to people are words of encouragement. God is for you, man. He's not against you. I know your situation right now looks rough, but God is for you. He's not against you. He has great things for you. He is working things out for your good. So oftentimes, the, the prophetic word to, to somebody that needs it is simply a word of encouragement, a word of reminder. Listen here to what the prophet says to the nation of Israel. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. And sometimes we get lost. We lose our way, right? We forget who we are. We forget where we come from. We forget what the Lord has done for us. But oftentimes when we come into church, it's not so much that we're learning something new, but we're remembering what has already been done. That he's already won the victory. He's already done it. And what the prophet is saying to them here is reminding them of the mighty things that God has done, that he has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He has rescued them. He he has drove out the enemies. And so Israel is receiving this word of encouragement, this prophetic word. But then verse 10, this is how the word works. He encourages you, but there's also a word of correction here. Listen, verse 10, I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. I commented on this whenever we were reading. Some things never change, right? Some things never change. Once again, the Lord gives a word of encouragement, but then a word of correction. He said, I told you, do not worship the gods of this land in which you now live. And hear me this morning, church, you are not just an American citizen. Don't think of yourself, if you are a Christian who claims Christ, that is your earthly title, yes. But the book of Peter that we've been working through, 1 Peter in our, in our Bible study says that you are sojourners, strangers in a foreign land, that we are not of this planet, of this world, but that God Almighty has called us to citizenship of a new country, the new Jerusalem, the new kingdom. Never forget, friends, you are not, this, this is not our home. This is not, the, w- w- things as they are right now, the trivial things that we see every, th- every day are not our home. We are sojourners, strangers in a foreign land. And yet we, we tend to worship the gods of this land. We tend to worship the gods of this culture. We lift up the gods of this culture. You see, Israel was in a situation where they were not in their land, they were in somebody else's land. And there was pressure to adopt the customs and religions of that day, to worship the God of Baal, and to worship other gods that that would have had uh, impressioned upon them, right? There was pressure from the outside to worship these gods and to lift up their worship to them. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that we are under the same pressure. And sadly, many brothers and sisters have fallen to that pressure of worshiping the gods of this day, the gods of this era, the gods that exist in our American culture nowadays, the gods of sex and money, the gods of power and revenge, the gods of alcohol Substance abuse, trivial distractions. And you know what's interesting about this? Is that the modern man would look at the gods of ancient, let's, let's say the Greeks for example. The modern man will look at the gods of the ancient Greeks and say, Oh, Zeus, yeah, he's a myth. But we still worship power. Aphrodite, she doesn't exist. Yet we still live to worship sex. Hermes, he doesn't exist, but we still worship the almighty dollar. Money is our God. Commerce. 
Alcohol. Substance abuse. They had a God for that too. Dionysus. He was also the God of the party. (laughs) God of the party. Everybody loves a good party, but our culture is intoxicated with it. Some people aren't happy unless they're drunk. Some people aren't happy unless they're uh, high. Some people aren't happy unless they're covered in substance abuse, and that is a terrible thing. As our culture is going in this way, once again, we, we deny the gods of the past. We're high and mighty and intellectual. Those things, they don't exist. We've just swapped out the names. Instead of Dionysus, it's Bud Light and Tito's, right? Instead of Aphrodite, it's Tinder and Pornhub. Y'all are laughing. I'm serious as a stone this morning. This is, this is this preaching. I hear no amens. I'm kidding. But seriously, right? We, we, we have replaced the names. It's the same old song and dance. It's the same old thing. We, we, we talk like today's culture is now worse than ever. No, they, they were worshiping, worshiping this stuff back then. We just found new ways of doing it. We found new ways of doing it. We found new ways to, find, to be attached to these things. And the Lord, the Lord says, I told you not to worship the gods of the land in which you live. I told you not to do it. And it's not because God is some narcissist sitting up in heaven saying, I need your worship. The last thing that we want is a needy God. God doesn't need anything from us. He is almighty, all powerful. The reason he says not to worship these gods is because he knows they will never bring fulfillment. There's no amount of, of substance or money or things or possessions that you could have that would satisfy your soul. Jim Carrey said, I wish everybody could be a millionaire so they could realize it doesn't bring you happiness. It doesn't. What, what we're looking for in our lives is satisfaction in our soul. And the Lord says, I told you not to worship those gods because they won't bring you anything. They won't bring you anything. It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. It's fake. It's fake news. Right? It's fake. Israel chose to worship the gods of their land. And if we read it here in context, Israel's oppression in Midian was directly correlated to their choices to worship these gods. That's what the text says. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that we're not any different. Our choices to submit in the worship of the gods of our age will lead to our destruction. It will lead to our downfall. It will lead to these things. There's, I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. There's a very popular rapper. I won't say his name, but he's had a really popular song. And the line, one of the lines says, all my life I want money and power. Like, that's the message of the day. Like, that's what people live for. And obviously, as Christians, we say, no, no, that can't be us. But if we really let the Lord examine our hearts and our motivations... Secretly, sometimes we've made an altar to these gods. We've made them our God. We've made them an idol. We've made them a God in our life that we worship. God says, but you have not listened to me. Aren't you thankful he doesn't leave us there, though? Aren't you thankful that he doesn't leave us there? Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came beneath the tree of of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joseph, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. 
Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handled us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Israel. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. You see, God didn't leave Israel there. God sent a prophet and said, this is what's going on. And then the angel of the Lord went to a little, a little, it doesn't really give Gideon's age here, but I like to think of him as, as maybe, you know, 18 uh, to, to maybe around my age. A guy, he's just doing his job. He's thrashing wheat by the wine press, going about his business. And, and the Lord appears to him and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. God is not, God, God sees us. He sees us in our age, worshiping futile things that bring us no satisfaction and will never satisfy your soul. But God doesn't want to leave us there. God is continually speaking. He's speaking to people left and right, and he's looking to raise up people that will come alongside him, and like I said earlier, will participate in what he's doing. He comes to Gideon here, and he says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And listen here what Gideon says. Aren't I the weakest? I'm the weakest of the tribe, and that's how the Lord Jesus Christ works. And so if you are in here this morning and you feel weak, you feel inadequate, you feel humbled by life, you feel like you have nothing to offer God, well, then you are in a prime position to be used by God. You are in, in, in the greatest position to be used by God because God desires to use that which is lowly and meek for his purposes. That's what God desires, and that's what God does here. He comes to Midian who says, I'm the weakest of the clan. Why, are you, why would you use me? Why would you use me? The Lord says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to drive out the Midianites. And then Gideon, he puts God to the test. He says, if you're going to use me, show me a sign. Right? And Gideon goes home and whips up a nice meal, takes it to the rock, and the angel of the Lord goes, zap. He catches it on fire. And Gideon's like, all right, God, we're ready to go. Let's do this. <laughs> then the Lord says, verse 22, before, uh, right after this happens with the angel of the Lord catching on fire, verse 22, Gideon says, Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord. He cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. You know, see, sometimes we realize that we're worshiping things of this world that are futile, we realize we're living for the world. We're living for things that do not bring us satisfaction. We realize that our lives are not everything that they could be. We realize that we're living in sin. And we come to God. And oftentimes what we worry about is we worry that when we come face to face with God, I know many people like this, they would never darken the doors of that church because they worry that whenever they come in here that, God, I've done too much wrong. God, I've said too many things. I've gone to too many places. I've, I've, I've done too much evil. God, you don't know what I've done. God, if you knew what I'd done, if I came face to face with you, as Gideon says here, they would say, I am doomed. I am doomed. But that's not the response of our God, amen? The response of our God is, do not be afraid, you will not die. Do not be afraid that when we come to God, when we come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, his response to us is not, is not one of, of uh, judgment, it's not one of condemnation, but instead it is, I forgive you. I forgive you. I love you. Go and sin no more. 
the response of cross of Christ, excuse me, from the cross is Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is God's disposition towards sinners. And so when we come face to face with God, God says, Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. You will not die. The Bible says that over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. Verse 24, And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Can I just say that no matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter where you find yourself in your life, even if you find yourself in a land filled with starvation, even if you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, that we can build an altar right then and there that says that God is my peace, that whatever is coming against me, whatever is coming against me in the world or my situation or my circumstance, God is my peace. Whatever my bank account says, God is my peace. Whatever the health report says, God is my peace. Whatever my friends say about me, God is my peace. Whatever my family struggles are, God is my peace. He is Yahweh Shalom. We can have peace in him this morning. And man, somebody's got to hear that this morning. This is the country with the largest amount of antidepressants in the world. Why is that? Because we're so anxious. We're so depressed. We are without peace, yet we carry the God of peace this morning. That God has peace for you. That if you will just trust him, if you will just say, God is my peace, I'm claiming it, that whatever my circumstance is, I have the peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Isaac, that's a verse that you always share with me. That we don't worry about anything, but we pray about everything. And that the peace that surpasses all understanding will fill our hearts. That's the promise of God. And so I just want to say that. That whatever circumstance you're in, Gideon found himself in quite the circumstance here. He's in a nationwide famine. Just got face to face with the angel of the Lord. Probably pretty stressed out. But the Lord is my peace, he says. The word is my peace, and that altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abizar to this day. And listen here, verse 25. This is, this is the, the action here. Verse 25. The, that night the Lord said to Gideon, Take a second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using it as a fuel, the wood of, uh, the wood of a sheriff pole you cut down. Verse 27. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Verse 25, what happens? God tells him, go to your father's altar to Baal, the, the altar to the false god, and tear it down. And this is where I felt like God spoke, spoke to me so clearly, that God is looking for a people that will identify where the altars to the false gods are in our life, that we will look and we will have the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, examine our hearts. Lord, examine our lives. Show us where we have been worshiping futile things. Show us where we've been wasting the one life that we've been given on things that really don't matter. Show us, Lord, show us. And then God is looking for a people that will go and tear down those altars and in place of it, build an altar to the one true and living God. God is looking for people that will go into their families and tear down the false gods and build an altar that will say, this is the Lord's altar. God is looking for people that will identify those things. God is looking for a people that will come broken before him and say, God, whatever it is, God, I've been putting too much trust in these things of the world. God, I've been living 
in sin. You know that Tim Keller says that Christians should be the most repentant people we know. Christians. Not unbelievers. Christians. Because the Christians have the Holy Spirit. And as the world tempts us day after day to walk in the ways of the world, repent. Repent. A continual turning around. Because we like to think we're really smart, but we're a lot more like the sheep, right? We sang tonight, he's the, he's the one that goes after the, the one. He never leaves the one behind. He goes after the 99 to leave the one. We think of ourselves as so smart, so intellectual, right? But we are really dumb like sheep. And we walk away, and we start placing our faith and our trust in things that really don't matter. They really don't matter. God is looking for a people that will identify these altars and tear them down. Well, how do we identify them? Well, I want to give you a few practical things this morning to identify these things. Where is your time most spent? Right? Now, I understand people work jobs, right? People work jobs, work a lot. But sometimes even then, we can make work our God in some ways. People who own businesses or maybe create their own schedule or have that opportunity, they can turn their work into a God. They can turn success into a God. But even outside of work, because everybody has to do that every day, the hours outside of the work, you know, you probably only work eight hours a day, maybe less, maybe more. Right? But there's 24 hours in a day. Where is our time being spent? Men, is our time being spent on sports talk radio? Come on. I'm guilty of it too. I'm trying to see who should I sit, who should I start this week in fantasy, you know, right? Ladies, I, I, I'm, I'm not a lady, so I can't relate, but are, are we spending our time watching Netflix? Are we spending our time watching pointless things? I, I don't know. The TV, the TV, that, that devil vision, that television, devil vision, I'm just kidding. All reality though, where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our time? Where is our time allocated? Our energy or our passion, you could say. Where is our energy? Where is our passion directed? Do we have a passion for the things of God? Do we have a passion to, to see the things of God happen in the world? Or, or are we more passionate about silly things? I'm a huge Chiefs fan. But as I was preparing for this sermon, I just... There is a lot of people who spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of passion for a game. I mean, I love football. I really do. I'm wearing Patrick Mahomes socks right now, okay? I do. But a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of time for a game. It's a game. These things will remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so if we're not directing our time towards building the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, and sharing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're probably not living a life that's on mission, that's on path. We need to be living a life that's on mission and on path. Where's our mental focus? Where are our dreams and our aspirations? Do we desire, to, do we dream about having a godly family? Or do we dream about having that really nice house on the hill that's just like, you know, amazing, right? Where's our dreams? And I know that some of these things can seem silly, but in America, we've been sold a bill of goods that if you can have the right job, 
the right car, the right number of kids, one boy, one girl, stop there. If we can have this perfect scenario, then that will bring you happiness. But it won't. Not even family will. Not even family. Our soul was made for God. I've got it right here. St. Augustine said that our souls were made for God. And so we will be restless until we find our rest in Him. Restless. You ever met anybody who's restless? They just, they just, they're just trying to figure this life out. And they, they don't have a home. They just feel like they're just all over the place. And, and I felt like that before in my life for times. We have to find our rest in God. We have to find our rest in God. Here's one. This is maybe the, the biggest one. Where does our money go? Mm. We talk about priorities. Open up the Nottaway Valley Bank app. Or whatever you bank with, right? Open it up and see what it says, right? Now, I'm not saying that you, you've got a, a, this is not a time we're about to collect the offering or something like that. I'm, I'm not about that. But the point I'm making is that you can tell a lot about where your passions are by where your money goes and by where you spend your money. And if you are clinging to your money so much that you see some, a stranger in need and you won't even buy him a meal, then we've got some mixed up priorities here, right? We've got, we've got priorities out of whack, you know. If there's an opportunity to truly bless somebody and, and we, we don't have um, the desire to do that financially, then, then Lord help us. Jesus said that, we, we always talk about how Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, Right? We talk about that in all kinds of contexts. But in the context of the scripture, Jesus is saying, you cannot worship both God and money. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Where do we put our hope? Where do we put our hope? You know, in this country, there's a lot of political talk, whether it's midterms or presidential elections or Supreme Court or all kinds of stuff. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? Now, does that mean that we are without, um, you know, education, that we should just blindly go willy-nilly about what goes on in this country? No, I believe we should be good stewards, just like in the book of Daniel. Daniel was a faithful servant of the government, right? But at the end of the day, my hope is not in Washington, right? My hope is not in in Congress or in the president or in the Supreme Court. My hope is not in, um, you know, Recently, uh, across, this, across the sea, you know, Great Britain, they just had their queen die. My, my hope is not in any leader. My hope is not in anybody that is sitting on any sort of throne. My hope, my hope is, is in the one that's sitting on the throne. Amen? That's where my hope is. Right? In the words of the great Charles Crabtree, we need to stop looking at the White House, and we start looking at the White Throne. That's where we need to start looking. It's not about what happens in uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. It's about what happens in God's world. What God, what God desires to do, His kingdom. Amen? Amen. And where's our identity? You know, where's our identity at? Where's your identity at? Where do you place your very being, how you see yourself in the world? Because what happens is we see these things and people will place their identity in how good they look, right? That'd be along the lines of the uh, sexual things, right? How do we look? How do we present to other people? What First Peter say last week in our Tuesday talks? Women, don't be so worried about outside beauty. Don't be so worried about what other people think of you, but be consumed with the beauty that comes from within, the beauty that comes from, from a heart that is given to God. And men, it's the same exact thing. Don't be worried about whether or not you have Rolex or, or the best suit or the best. No, 
it's a, it's, it, it is, it is the, the, the glory that comes from within, the, the beauty or handsomeness, I guess you could say, that comes from within. It's what God has called you to, right? Or, or do we place our identity in our position or our power in the world? Do we, do we place our identity in our success or lack thereof? Right? Do we think of ourselves less because we don't have a very good job or we don't have a position of title or authority? Right? That, that's a, a way that the devil gets us as he thinks that because we don't have a position of worldly authority that we are, are less than. And what I want to tell you is that God has power and authority for you. But in his kingdom, his kingdom. Do we place our identity, and this is kind of broad, but in what other people think of us. This is a big one. In comparison culture, I don't have my phone, but if I did, I'd hold it up right here. On the phone with social media, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever, right? There's so much comparison going on. And when there's comparison going on, you will never live the life that God called you to live. You're always going to want to be living somebody else's life. And in doing so, listen here, in doing so, you are building an altar where you worship at the opinion of somebody else. That the God that you worship is the opinions of others. That the God that you worship is the number of likes, comments, and follows that you get. I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I heard that from Chris Green. I need to try it out. We build an altar to what other people think instead of building an altar to the one true and living God and saying, this is what God says about me. This is what God says about me. All right. I got to keep going. We're going to, I don't know how much time, I don't know how, how, how far I'm in. Chiefs don't play until 325 though, so we'll be okay. So Gideon took his 10 servants and did as the Lord commanded. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, kind of reminds me of like on the Grinch when he steals everything and then the town people get up and they're like, what's going on? Someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that, that the uh, Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In place of the new altar had been built, and on it were remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring, your son, bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and cutting it down for the Asherah pole. Can I just say here that when you decide that you are going to live for the Lord, when you decide that for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, when you decide that I'm going to live a life for Christ no matter what, that no matter what people say, no matter what people may not say, that I'm not going to live in that way. I'm not going to say those things. I'm not going to do those things. When you decide to live a life for Christ, there will be people that get mad. When you tear down those altars of the way that things have been and you begin to live for the Lord, there will be people that get upset. There will be people that come against you that, that say, what are you doing? Why did you do this? You know, uh, right? They get disgruntled and they get all kinds of mad because you're not the person that you used to be. You don't participate in those activities that you used to do. You don't go and, and go about those ways, right? You don't talk in those foul ways of anger and revenge. You don't, you don't join in with, as Psalm 1 says, join in with the mockers and the, the naysayers and the evil ones. You don't join in with them. People will get mad and get upset. But take heart. Jesus said, blessed are you when people revile you and mock you for my name's sake. Blessed. You are blessed when that happens because you are doing the will of God in your life. You are doing the will of God. And people will get upset about it. 
People will get upset about it. Everybody gets mad at change, right? You ever been through change in your workplace or change around? Nobody likes change, especially whenever they want you to do something, and you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Bradley had mentioned yesterday about what was shared at the men's breakfast, and we talked about integrity. And, and Richard, one of, our, one of our church members here, mentioned that he wouldn't talk in the foul ways of the world. He wouldn't talk in the negative and, and foul cursing ways of the world. And people ask him why, and he simply says, because I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Christian. And they just can't, Richard, you told us yesterday, they, just, they, just don't, they don't even understand that. They, they, that is just way over their heads. They don't understand why somebody would be like that. People won't understand. And people get mad at what they don't understand. But when we choose to live a life for God, face like flint, forward, we're not changing anything. God he moves in our life, and, and, and I believe that even as people get mad, that we are blessed. Amen? All right. Last, we're, we're sailing home here. Are you guys ready? Verse 31. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who, was, who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jeroboam which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Before Gideon was killed, they came in. They said, wait, if Baal is real, if Baal has any merit, if there's any sort of um, substance behind this God, let him defend himself. Let him come down and take care of Gideon himself. And lo and behold, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Because what, here's what it is. Folks, whenever you put these gods of this world to the test, whenever you decide to live for the Lord and you turn away from the things of this world, you realize they have no merit. They have no substance. That the things that this world proclaims as being important have no substance. There's no sauce behind it, no, no push, no oomph, no, no fortitude behind it, nothing. Nothing at all. The things that this world lives for, to use the analogy that we so often use in this church from Matthew 7, it's, it's the house built on sand. Fades away. That's the things of this world. But when you build your life on the teachings of Jesus, listen here, when you build your life on the teachings of Jesus, it's a solid foundation. It's a firm foundation. It's a firm foundation that will not be shaken by the things of this world. Will not be shaken by the things of this world. And so I ask you this morning, Have you any altars in your house? Have you any altars in your heart? Have you any things that you have propped up? Any things that you have exalted above the place of God? A really good friend of mine and former youth pastor, uh, Colby Lewis, said this. We never want to let the good thing become the best thing because then it's not the best thing. Any good thing in your life, God has given us great things in our life. Family, I believe sports, competition, good, friendly competition, jobs, great things in our life. Don't mishear me this morning. I'm not asking you to go turn into a monk and go on the top of, uh, what's that hill up there? Uh, on, never mind, I don't even know. The one where there's like the flag up there and there's like, King Hill. I was about to say there's a lot of drug deals that happen up there. Yeah. Anyways, I'm not asking you to go be a monk on top of a hill like that, okay? But what I am asking you to do is examine your life. 
Have we, put the, have we taken the good thing and made it the best thing? Because if so, the word of the Lord to us this morning is to tear those things down and to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for misplacing my time and my trust, my energy, my passions. Lord, make you the passion of my heart. Lord, make you, your kingdom, what you're doing in my life. Lord, make seeking you the passions of my heart. And you know what the promise of Scripture is? Is that he will take that stony heart that we have and he'll take it out and he'll restore it with a heart of flesh. Then when we pray that prayer of, Lord, change my heart, Psalm 51, search me, O God, search my heart. When we pray that prayer, he does it. The Holy Spirit does the work. The Holy Spirit will come into our lives and draw us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to ask if everybody would close their eyes and bow their heads, and if the band would come back up. We're going to enter into a time of communion. I want you to, as your every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands.